0: For every horror movie that's out there, uh, pretty much everything can, can be prevented if someone followed protocols, or if someone, if one person just decided to, no, let's just not, or just let's just follow the rules that uh, the agency decided for us ahead of time. But of course, there wouldn't be a horror movie uh, if if
1: anyone decided to do any of that. Yes, that is right. We are talking horror this week on Radio Free Acton, and no, we're not talking about. You know, federal government policy or anything like that. We're talking movies and TV shows, and uh, we're going to do that a little bit later on, on our upstream segment where we talk about cultural matters. Uh, but uh, first of all, let me welcome you to Radio Free Acton. Hi, everybody. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermas, and it's my pleasure to be your host here on the podcast. Uh, we've got Upstream coming up, as I said, in just a few moments. But first of all, we are going to take a moment to talk with Dylan Palman. He is our uh, managing editor of the Journal of Markets and Morality here at the Acton Institute, also a research fellow. And he is the author of a brand new book called Foundations of a Free and Virtuous Society. Uh, and if you know the mission statement of the Acton Institute, you'll know that we exist to build a free and virtuous society. And Dylan has written a great book uh, that uh, kind of explains the uh, the underlying thought here at the Acton Institute. It's sort of a, an Acton for Beginners book uh, that goes through a, a biblical understanding of the human person and the economic flourishing that freedom enables. And uh, Dylan has done a fantastic job on this book. And uh, Daniel Medjavar, a producer here at Radio Free Acton, took some time to speak with him about his new book, and uh, we're going to send you over to that interview right now. It's Dylan Palman and Daniel Menjivar here on Radio Free Actin.
0: My name is Daniel Menjivar with Radio Free Actin. Today we have Dylan Palman, research fellow and managing editor of the Journal of Markets and Morality and the author of the brand new book, Foundations of a Free and Virtuous Society. Hey there, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Uh, So, you're the research fellow and managing editor of the journal. Uh, What exactly does that mean?
2: So, as a research fellow for Acton, um, I do a lot of my own research and writing, and uh, this involves presenting papers at academic conferences, getting published in journals, um, but also writing uh, essays on a more accessible uh, general level as well. Uh, and then as managing editor of the journal, uh, not only do I, um, contribute to the editorial process as far as, you know, putting commas and periods in the right spot and all that. Um, but I, I manage the peer review process. Um, I correspond with our associate editors who are very helpful in that regard. And, uh, and I also manage all the subscriptions and the website, uh, for our journal too. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool.
0: Um, yeah. Was your first book, second book, first book, first book, Yeah. Uh, foundations of Re- of a free and virtuous society, uh, Finished it last night. Uh, great, easy read. What inspired you to write write this book?
2: Well, Acton has so much great content, and people love our conferences, especially Acton University every summer. Um, and I really, I saw this niche that or niche, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Uh, I saw this 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 kind of this need uh, for a book to kind of to be that for people, hmm. and, and we have other introductory. Material, but a lot of it is tradition-specific. So maybe a Lutheran primer on faith, work, and economics, mm. and, and I think that's great. But something I, something that's I, for everyone. Yeah, I wanted a book that I could give to just anybody. Yeah, um, and. And we didn't have that. And and the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I could I could do this. Sure. I could be the one to to fill this need. And then and then I also I wanted it to be introductory and accessible and and for general audiences and you know the sort of thing you could read on a plane from the east to west coast or something like that. Yeah. You know, uh, not something that you know looks intimidating or or foreboding or anything like that, but something that hopefully is inviting. No,
0: no, exactly. I mean, like, in speaking of inviting, I mean this is one. Uh, you the listener can check it out on the on the website or some other form this is a very nice cover i will say uh with a hat tip on the top and that's (laughs) you on the cover is that right
2: uh no 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 no. it's it's uh the the graphic designer uh designs uh Mark Scutaro actually was a college roommate of ah, mine. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so I did ask him. He said, "No, that's not supposed to be me." But he <laughs> likes that people are are making that
0: assumption. Uh, so. I, that's, so I thought it was you. I was like, "Oh man, this is a a, a, a little uh, little secret in there." <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, why do you, why should why should someone read this book?
2: Uh, well, it's written for at least two audiences. So on the one hand, um, there are um, business people, economists, political scientists, or just political junkies mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. who might not see very much what Sunday morning has to do with the rest of the week and the rest of their lives. Um, I mean, they they might be people of very genuine faith um, who, who care very much, you know, pray every day, read their Bible, that sort of thing. Um, but really seeing how their faith matters to business, to politics, to everyday life, um, those are dots, uh, that aren't always connected very well. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's not necessarily anybody's fault. That's just kind of the nature of things. Um, sure. uh, but on the other hand, uh, there are ministers, philosophers, ethicists, theologians, um, who often will do all their training. And I went to seminary as well. And, and I know they, they don't teach economics at most seminaries. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's understandable again but also unfortunate yeah, yeah. Um, when when you have so many mentions in the scriptures for example about caring for the poor that kind of invites the question well how do we do that and economics is a whole science devoted to answering that question and so putting these two together I think is really vital for both groups so people who are really into their faith or to questions of morality and social justice but on the other hand people who are out there you know just who are christians living their lives maybe in more um for lack of a better phrase more practical uh sure experience uh you know endeavors um they they need that too um so the idea was to bring these two together
0: yeah sort of build build that bridge essentially that that's sort right. of lacking in, in, in either department right yes okay yes um, no i think that's it's a uh, reading through it is definitely accessible and uh, gets to both sides of that. If you do a good job of, uh, of the economics and sort of the, definitely uh, the scripture references and the church fathers that are in here as well, I noticed uh, spread around. But the book is, is split up into two parts. Yeah. Sort of, right? Can you tell mm-hmm. me more about that?
2: So the first part is on Christian anthropology. It's meant to kind of give a, a theological and philosophical uh, groundwork. Um, and I mean, the title of the book is uh, Foundations of a Free and Virtuous Society. And it's got this great uh, kind of, silhouetted guy who, as you already noted, sort of looks like me, um, on the cover and a a city in the background. And, you know, the, the ultimate, not to give it away because actually I don't explicitly say this in the book, but the ultimate foundation of a free and virtuous society is the human being created in the image of God. It's the human person, um, and human society, you know, so here you have the city behind him and the guy in the front. And, uh, and, so you have to start there. I think we have to start there. We have to answer that question, well, what does it mean to be human? And yeah. If we don't have an answer to that question, how can we ever answer questions of, well, what is the best human economy or human society or human government? Um, we just can't. We have to know what does it mean to be human. What does it mean to live a good and flourishing human life? Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I begin there, um, and then and so that's I, I use, there's three chapters there. Uh, one just kind of somewhat individualistically answering that question of what does it mean to be made in the image of God. Uh, the second answering what is society. So speaking much more about group dynamics and uh, our relationships to one another, and then uh, the third chapter on uh, economics, talking about you know God's command. Um, to be fruitful and multiply, and the fact that he, he created us to till the ground uh, in the garden, um, and that that there's there's a very good uh, purpose of work, um, as uh, Lester DeCosta, who we love here, uh, famously said, uh, at least we're going to make it famous, uh, work is the form in which we make ourselves useful to others, hmm. right? It, it is the primary means by which we love our neighbor. Yeah. Um, and so knowing um, that and knowing about economics really ought to help us do that better, um, so then the second part is kind of this what if portion. Hmm. Um, and I came up with this because uh, we wanted to make sure that we actually did get into some of the, m- the more details of economics. Yeah. But um, I came up with the, the, the what if approach because I feel like it it um, is a way to kind of address these issues without getting bogged down in the details either. Because, I, you know, I don't want to get into questions of, OK, you know, as Sam put it in the introduction, you know, there, there's really no Christian answer to what is the ideal marginal tax rate. Right. Sure. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There, there are limits. There are, Yeah, there are limits. There are points at which that can become a problem. Um, but if we really, really, really get into it, people of goodwill and good faith can disagree. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, what's more important to me and what's more the goal of this book is to get at these basic economic uh, principles and presuppositions uh, that I, I really think none of us can do without, and I, especially I think based upon that first section on Christian an- Christian anthropology, yeah. we need to pay a lot more attention to. So I talk about things like profit and prices and yeah, yeah. equality and inequality and how these work uh, in our economic lives and in our social lives as well.
0: Uh, speaking of uh, sort of uh, the topics, and the, the second half of the book is, as you were mentioning, the "what if" section, uh, and uh, the big one that sort of comes is comes up a lot is inequality uh, that's sort of a, a hot topic uh, that people talk about today. Um, I guess I'll just pose the question here: like, uh, is what about the the one percent of people that have all the money and the rest of uh rest right. of people who don't? Well, that's right? that's
2: a great question. I mean, that's a question came up in I believe it was twenty eleven with the Occupy Wall Street yeah, Occupy Wall Street movement, and then we thought you know winter came and they disappeared, and <laughs> we thought we were done, and then Bernie Sanders came along and yep. showed us that. This isn't going away, right? Um, No, I mean I'm being a little silly because, of course, you know people have cared about this the whole time, even before then. But uh, on the one hand, it's understandable. On the other hand, it's very much mistaken. Uh, the The problem is there's just an unjust inequality. It's just not all not all inequality is created equal. uh, To be a little cute, Um, you know, if you look at income inequality. Uh, you can find, you know, if you really want to get into economics, look at the Gini coefficient for different countries, oh and different cities, and whatever. Right? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> you can get a, you can put a number on how unequal different societies are. But that number will actually tell you nothing about how poor hmm. certain societies are. Um, and a case in point of this is uh, just that in general, in freer, more developed countries. Now, there's of course. Real variance, and not, not unimportantly so. Um, in some cases, you actually have quite a bit more inequality. I mean, imagine just a country where everybody's poor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they're pretty equal, you yeah, know, in, on income measure wise. Mm, sure, sure. But they're poor, uh, and that should be the bigger concern for us, the bigger problem. In fact, uh, the Bible has a lot more to say about poverty and wealth. Um, the, you know, the caring for the poor. And even the spiritual good to some degree of poverty, and also the spiritual dangers and responsibilities of wealth, than it does about inequality. It says, you know, it certainly can compare the two, and so on and so forth. Talks about not cheating the poor and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but, but again, it, it's not so much concerned with the size of the gap as what are people in particular positions doing. Yeah, um, and when you have a, a society in which the vast majority of people are still middle class, although I think uh, we certainly should be concerned about wage stagnation and things like that. Uh, but nevertheless, most of us are middle class, and yet there's crazy you know, inequality in just pure numerical terms. Um, we should look at that and say, okay, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be a, a better way of evaluating which what inequality is something that we ought to be concerned with. And What inequality is natural? Because to some degree, people are different. And that's okay. I mean, that's what diversity is all about. And I mean, I'm enough of a millennial to think diversity is a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we shouldn't try to do away with it just because sometimes that ends up producing economic inequalities. It's not that I'm not concerned about inequality, um, but we ought to ask the question, well, what are people doing with it, right? Are the 1% the 1% because... They're literally, you know, taking candy away from babies and yeah. that sort of thing? Or are they the 1% just because, you know, they wrote a novel that turned out to be a bestseller? I mean, sure. that person will be in the 1% just as much as, I don't know, you know, someone at Goldman Sachs or whatever, you know, whoever you want to demonize, right? Yeah. And, and we have to ask the question, well, what's going on here? Is this a legitimate enterprise? It's just, you know, creatively using the resources yeah, what, of the what, earth what, to, what's the to serve that... our neighbors? Or yeah. is it someone who struck a great deal uh, with a politician to... Uh, shape an industry in such a way to keep out competitors. Yeah, by what, um, what
0: method do they aggregate the wealth? Right, sure.
2: Um, so, in that way, yes, and some inequality is produced by some really serious injustice, something that we ought to care about. In fact, is the inequality we really ought to care about is the kind that is produced by reducing equality of opportunity hmm. um, and, and a, the rule of law in a society. Um, and that, that should be our measure. That should be what we're concerned with, uh, rather than just this raw number of income inequality.
0: Well, Dylan, thank you so much for, for coming in. Your new book, where can, uh, where can people find it?
2: They can find it on Amazon.com and uh, at the Acton Bookshop. So I believe that's shop.acton.org.
3: Hello, and welcome to Upstream, where culture is upstream from politics. I'm Bruce Edward Walker, and today I'm speaking with Acton Zone, Daniel Menjivar and Dan Huger. And we're going to discuss recent horror flicks, gentlemen. So, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Hello. Okay, well, I'm going to throw some uh, titles out there, and if you've seen them, grab it and run with it. Let's start with uh, a movie that came out last year and got quite a bit of publicity and has just been uh, issued on On Demand, uh, and it's on uh, pay TV and home video, and that's Get Out, and that's uh, the Jordan Peele scary flick that uses horror tropes to lampoon white liberal guilt and obsession over race differences. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. there's always been an element of allegory to horror films and uh, this one I think does a very very neat twist and I don't want to give away any spoilers for those out there who have yet to see it. but, but essentially it plays off uh, a white girlfriend, black boyfriend, his nervousness about going to visit her parents when and she says that if Obama had run for a third term her parents would have voted for him. So and, and so it, it takes off from there and, and you get to see how how kind of silly the whole notion of race is from the other perspective and it's rather refreshing because we're not talking about uh, you know your, your typical Hollywood version of the Rednecks going out and uh, being racist and and traumatizing the uh, the minorities that are in the movie. So it, it, it's funny. It's enlightening, and um, I think it's extremely well done. And Jordan Peele of Key & Peele makes it a, a must-see anyway. So I'm, I'm admonishing both of you for not having seen this yet. <laughs> it's, been, it's been on my watch list for quite some time. I just haven't gone out to, to, to finally do the deed. Okay, well, I'll throw it to you then, uh, Daniel, Daniel Menjavar. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you have on your list.
0: Uh, Alien Covenant, uh, which I think came out maybe almost a month ago, I think now by Ridley Scott, uh, sort of continuation of a, a sequel and a prequel to both Prometheus and to Alien. Um, also by uh, Ridley Scott as well. I saw that a couple of weeks back ago uh, and really enjoyed it. I think if for every horror movie that's out there, uh, Pretty much everything can, can be prevented if someone followed protocols, or if someone, if one person just decided to no, let's just not, or just let's just follow the rules that uh, the agency decided for us ahead of time. But of course, there wouldn't be a horror movie uh, if if anyone decided to do any of that. Uh, so that aside, um, I think uh, it was. I was scared. Um, I'm. Pr- I, I try to avoid uh, horror movies but every once in a while. I indulge uh, to increase my courage. But no, I thought the themes, the themes of it, I think were work we great. Continue sort of the discussion that we began in Prometheus of uh, sort of where does life begin? Um, what What's it all about?
3: And one of the things that I really enjoyed about Alien Covenant, I mean, let's face it, the Alien franchise, when, when done properly, it is a horror franchise. It's more or less dependent on sci-fi gadgetry and uh, alien, you know, bug-eyed monsters. But uh, it does ask really big questions of where life comes from and it actually has characters that are real christians and it doesn't malign them there there are scientists there that'll say oh you and your silly christian precepts but the 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 people who actually followed the christian precepts are very very rock solid characters, and they are not belittled in any way, shape, or form.
4: So what's what's one of the interesting things I like about horror movies in general is there's always sort of a moral calculus in it. You know, it's the it's the it's the teenager that does the drugs that has the premarital sex. You know, they're always the first ones to die. There's always this sort of relentless moral logic in horror films. And to go back to Get Out, how does is is the is that does that logic play out like that in Get Out? Daniel alluded to a little bit in the. Uh, in the Alien Covenant, that there's there's a question of you know rules and protocol, and when those rules and protocol are broken, getting eaten by aliens ensues. Um, is there anything? Is there any logic like that in in Get Out?
3: Not so much in Get Out, but that brings us to the next movie I wanted to discuss, and that is It Comes at Night, which is a wonderful low key scary movie that deals with awakening adolescent sexuality. It deals with, uh, and speaking about the allegorical aspect in, uh, inherent in a lot of horror films, there is a lot that could be implied about the immigration crisis. You have uh, a post-plague family living off the grid somewhere in the Georgia forest, And they come across another family, and do you invite them in? Do you uh, circle your wagons with them, or do you just leave them to their own devices? And in the meantime, the adolescent son is sort of kind of casts his eye on the haughty wife that has uh, kind of crossed the boundary into. Where they live it, it, it's it's a very very interesting movie and uh, it asks a lot of really relevant questions when, when do you allow people to come and live with you and is that a wise idea when there is a plague afoot and you could use that the, the plague as an allegory for say terrorism
0: no I think that's sort of the 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 room that horror and sci-fi uh, sort of allow. Uh, allow people to play in is sort of asking these questions without having to ask the question formally, um, sort of setting up these these scenarios, um, like alien. Where does where does a creator? What what does it mean to be a creator, um, and what does one do with one's creation uh, after that? Um, in this case, it comes at night, bringing up questions of immigration, perhaps, um, allowing us to to explore these topics. Um, Maybe once again, without having to overtly state
3: them. Absolutely. And I, I think that brings us to uh, the last horror film or from the small screen that uh, both Daniel and Dan are, are probably a little bit more adept than I in discussing. And that would be Twin Peaks because, you know, quite frankly, David Lynch is uh, made his bones as a horror director. And uh, you, you could quibble with that, but um, I would probably beat you in, in a conversation about that. <laughs> so So um, yes, Twin Peaks has been resurrected after, you know, 25 years or so. And it's now on Showtime. And the latest episode was a complete, Mindbender. Oh my
4: gosh, yes. It was, it was pretty amazing.
3: Um, I'm going to push my mic back and have you guys go, go at it. All right. Well, the episode's kind of in, in two parts.
4: Um, you know, there's, there's, there's before the mind bending begins, and then, and then there's the mind bending. Um, Daniel, the, the earlier part of the episode, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it now. It, was, it, start, it
0: starts off with... Uh, Ray? Dobble, yeah, Donald yes. Cooper and Ray uh, driving... Um, and, uh, sort of, I think, I think the, even the, the show begins with just a dashboard sort of point of view going in twists and twisting curves, uh, twists and curves that the road follows sort of almost like a little prelude, uh, that David Lynch is going to give us. Uh, that what what we're about to see isn't going to go in a straight line. Yeah, we're going to take, take some some curves and banks here.
4: It it echoes a lot of the visuals you got in an earlier David Lynch film, Lost Highway, that mm. plays a mm-hmm, lot mm-hmm. with um with this road imagery. Yeah, um, and they've uh you know escaped from the prison. Doppelcoop is of course sort of preternaturally aware of any conceivable obstacle. He's yeah. aware that the that the war- prison warden has placed a tracking device in the car. Mm-hmm. He disables that, and he seems as on top and in control of the situation as he sort of always is, um, yeah. which makes it doubly surprising when uh, when Ray um, gets the drop on him, essentially.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems like uh ray sort of has the upper hand uh gets to gets a few shots off and drops a doppelcoop. but that's i guess when that the real the real show begins uh like you were saying sort of the two parts the the present and then uh the journey that we
3: get to take uh following following that well right because uh after bad coop is shot you look at the the bullet hole, which becomes the birth canal out of which emanates sheer evil in in the form of Bob, and then we get more or less a history of the David Lynch universe. There there are allusions to almost every single one of his movies: Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, and uh, even Blue Velvet. That uh, again, I I I can't say enough about how beautiful it was to watch, while at the same time extremely disturbing. And I'm not really sure that I can explain everything. I'm not sure it it assists in putting all of the pieces of the Lynch universe into a linear fashion that could be easily understood. I don't don't even think it
0: it lends itself, I think, uh, at least especially with this episode, uh, sort of a a Lynchian uh, movie, in this case one-hour episode, uh, sort of takes – the time to, to contemplate uh, to sort of just visualize and see, um, I think we we get to we go black and white. The show goes to black and white, and we get an introduction to the Trinity Test, uh, which is just this awesome. I think in in, in some way appropriate word there, um, visual uh, that gets yeah gets us a history of the of the Twin Peaks universe.
3: Right, it's 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 Armageddon time, as as the Clash said, but it, it it's also the genesis of Modern evil. There's an interesting point when you're looking at Lynch and
4: some of the expectations he's played with earlier. There's this great moment when when Dougie or the the good Cooper tells another character to just figure it out, and you know in the, in the even the opening of the series where one of the early characters is tasked with watching a box in which he doesn't know what's going to happen. His whole job is to just sit there and watch the box and monitor the box, which is, of course, you know, what we as viewers are doing. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're fixated on this box and we're not sure what's going to come out and what's going to be next. And it kind of puts you in a frame of mind to experience the sort of the sort of like freeform nature of what Lynch is doing in um, constantly frustrating the expectations. It's in a way preparing you to be able to watch it at all.
3: Right. And uh- I, I think that's what uh, Lynch does extremely well. Uh, one, of, one of the movies that is most difficult to watch of in his uh, body of work is Fire Walk With Me, which was the prequel to Twin Peaks, the series, the original series from the late 80s and early 90s. But upon repeated viewings over the years, as disturbing as I found the movie, The the Violence Towards Women, and it is absolutely excruciating to to behold, but what he's really talking about here is the existence of real evil in the universe, in the the world, in our day-to-day lives, that there there are things out there that are meant to knock us off our square, to knock us off the, the, the moral path, and it's the, the, the good people are really 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 good but they're exposed to horrible 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 evils
4: yeah there's a moment um, calling back to the original series where when they when they and I don't know if anybody even doesn't know this anymore, but just to, if anybody hasn't watched the original series, I'll keep
3: this ambiguous. It's, the, it's too it's too late. You, yeah, you, you can do a spoiler for a 25 year old TV okay. series.
4: no, but when when Laura Palmer's killer is revealed, um, there's a brief discussion afterwards between the officers involved and the investigators, and and Albert who returns again for this new series, you know, makes some statement of you know, well maybe maybe Bob, maybe this evil presence is just the evil in us and the rest of the second season and sort of everything since with Firewalk with me and now the new series, um, puts the light of that, that there is some additional sort of spiritual malevolent force active in the universe. And while the first part, uh, you know, the first part of the second season of twin peaks in the first season, this is an ambiguous thing that's alluded to and teased out, um, you do get the you, you do get the idea that that Lynch's vision is one in which there is there is profound spiritual evil
3: active in the world. Well, great! I think that pretty much sums up uh, our latest recap of scary movies and uh, scary television for Upstream. I'm Bruce Edward Walker, and have a great week.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Radio Free Acton. Lots of thanks to go around this week. First of all, uh, to Dylan Palman, thank you for joining us to talk about your new book, uh, Foundations of a Free and Virtuous Society, which, by the way, is on sale right now at the Acton Bookshop. You can go to shop.acton.org and pick up a copy of a fine book, some good beach reading for the summer. Yeah, right. Um, also, uh, thank you to Bruce Edward Walker for another edition of of upstream uh, our cultural segment and, and thanks as well to daniel menjivar for not only uh participating in our little panel discussion on horror films and tv shows but also for handling interviewing duties this week with dylan uh, you always do a fine job thanks for all your help this week on uh, this edition of radio free Actin and uh, like i said we're at the end uh, of this edition of radio free Acton. if you have not subscribed already you can do so On iTunes and Google Play. Maybe leave us a review as well if you like the podcast. Uh, And uh, send the podcast around to folks you might want to introduce to Acton and some uh, Acton ways of thinking. We'd love to have more listeners, and uh, you are a big part of uh, spreading the word about Acton and uh, building a free and virtuous society. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you again on the next edition of Radio Free Acton. Have a good day, everybody.